Hello and welcome to What the Bible Says podcast, where we seek to find answers to the questions that you ask. The goal for every podcast is to answer questions only using the Bible, as we believe the Bible is still relevant to answer questions today. Although some of the volunteers in this group attend local churches, we are not supported by any church or denomination in any way, shape, or form. We receive no funding from any congregation or organizations. Let's search together what the Bible says. On this new series, the topic is, do I go to a church like the one mentioned in the Bible? You know why this is an important question is because the Bible is very plain in explaining how we should act as individual Christians. But a vital part of being a Christian is attending a church. So to be a good individual Christian, can we go to just any building with the word church on the outside? We want to really look into the question, what should a church look like? What things should we do when we worship God? And of course, not my opinion or your opinion, but what did the New Testament church look like? To answer that question in this episode, we're going to look at several things. Why are there so many different religions? Why are there so many different churches that practice different things? Does it matter what you practice at church? Now over to you, Donnie. Hello, I'm Donnie Rader. I'm glad you've decided to join us for this Bible study. This is a Bible study in this podcast, in this program. And so we encourage you to take heed to the things that are said, pay close attention, compare them to your Bible, and make sure that what we're teaching is found in the scriptures. The Bible is our standard. It's the only standard. And with that in mind, I want us to begin looking at a question that is of utmost importance. And the question is, is my church the one that was in the Bible? This is one of nine lessons we're going to consider in answering that question. Is my church the one that was in the Bible? What we mean by that is, is the church of which you are a member, where you attend, is that the church that you read about in the Bible? Does it conform to the plan that we read about in the New Testament? Here's a beginning point, and that is that there are many different religious beliefs. There is many different churches, and they teach and they practice things differently. In fact, their teaching is contradictory to each other. And so as you even just take a survey through the town where you may live, you'll find there are different religious groups. They have different doctrines if you visit them. They have different practices. And often their teaching is contradictory to each other. For example, one group will teach that Jesus is the Son of God, while another may teach he's not the Son of God. They both cannot be correct. One may teach there are no conditions of salvation, and another one may teach that there are conditions of salvation. One may teach salvation by faith alone, and another one may teach there are other things besides faith. And so teaching is often contradictory. I want to suggest to you that it's a very common concept that says it makes no difference what one believes or practices in religion. 
The idea is that all churches are good. As long as people are religious and believe in God and believe in Christ, all churches are good. And that one church is as good as another. And which, uh, which church you are part of is just a matter of personal choice. Makes no difference. Well, let's begin by noticing the question of what the church is. When I mention the church, or you talk about the church, and is my church the church you read about in the Bible, we need to understand how the Bible uses the term church. The church refers to people. It does not refer to a building. It refers to the people. Acts 8 and verse 3 makes it clear. For the text says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So we learn that it is people. That is, what he did to the people is what he did to the church. But it's not just any people. The church refers to people who are in a saved relationship with God. Now let's notice in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 47. In this text, we read that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So those who were being saved were added to the church. Those added to the church were those being saved. So the church and the saved are one and the same. In Ephesians 2.16, we read that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. So those being reconciled and those in one body are one and the same people. Well, there's another passage in that same book, Ephesians 5 and 23. Christ is said to be the Savior of the body. So those who are being saved and those who are in the body are one and the same people. So what is the church? The church refers to those who are in a saved relationship with God. Now, let's notice further that the church is the family of God. That is, if you are in the family of God, a child of God, you are in the church. If you're in the church, you're part of the family of God. Many have this concept that I do something to be saved, that is, I may have faith or whatever condition they think their church lays down. They, whatever they do to be saved, now they're saved. Then they have the choice of being a part of the church or joining a church. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament shows the church is the family of God. Notice carefully 1 Timothy 3.15. Here the Apostle Paul says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Now the house of God refers to the family of God. The house of David in the Old Testament, that phrase would refer to the family of David. So here the house of God is the family of God. The family of God is said to be the church of God. So the church is those who are in a saved relationship. Now in this first lesson, let's focus on the fact that there is one church mentioned in the New Testament. And so I would encourage you to listen carefully. 
then take the things that we talk about and compare them to your New Testament. Search the scriptures that we mention and see if this is not the case. The Bible teaches that there is one church. Now, why do we say that? Well, first, because Jesus only promised one church. Let's notice in Mark, Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 18. Here the Lord said, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Notice that Jesus makes a promise to build his church, but notice the term that he uses is singular in number. Upon this rock I will build my churches? No, I will build my church. So why do we say there's only one church? Because Jesus only promised one church. Secondly, the Bible says there is just one. And you say, where does the Bible say that? Well, let's look at Ephesians 4 and verse 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul said, there is one body. Now let's notice some things in the context of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. That he says there's one body. He also says there's one spirit. He says there is one hope. He also says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. So what he's speaking of, there is only one, just as there's only one God, there's only one Lord, there's only one faith, there is only one, one uh, spirit. He says in chapter 4 and verse 4, there is one body. Now, what is the body? Well, it's let the same writer in the same book define the term for us. So notice what the same writer, the Apostle Paul, in the same book of Ephesians says the church is, or the body is. In Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul said there is one body, in the same book, he defines the body as the church. The conclusion is there is one church. So when the Bible says there is one body, it is saying there is one church. Jesus only promised one. The Bible says there is just one. Let's add a third element to that. The Bible is silent about churches. The Bible is silent about churches. There is no passage that says anything about churches or denominations. Now, there are Bible passages that speak of various local congregations like a church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus, the church at Rome, the church at Thessalonica, the seven churches of Asia. But there is no passage that says anything about churches or denominations. Now let that sink in for a moment. So what does that mean? Well, if the Bible is silent, then it is not the will of God. In 1 Peter 4.11, Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, the sayings of God. 
In other words, as I speak, I must speak in harmony with what God has said. If I tell you there is one body, I need to find the book and the chapter and the verse that says there is one body. And that we did in Ephesians 4, in verse 4. But if I tell you that one church is as good as another, or there are many churches that are acceptable unto God, then I need to find the book and the chapter and the verse. And so we say that if churches are in the Bible, where is the passage that so teaches? Now here's a fourth thing. We've established thus far there is one church because Jesus only promised one. Secondly, the Bible says there is just one. Thirdly, the Bible is silent about churches. Fourth, let's consider that it makes a difference what one believes in religion. It makes a difference what a person believes in religion. We've already mentioned that it's a very common concept that says it makes no difference what a person believes in religion. And consequently, one church is just as good as another church in the mind of some people. And so it doesn't matter, according to some, whether you're a part of this church that teaches one doctrine or a part of another church that teaches the opposite doctrine. Does it make a difference what we believe? Well, let's consider 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 10 and continuing through verse 12. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God would send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they might all be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now let's notice what we learn from that text. There is a contrast between a lie and the truth. The lie here is not just any lie that you may hear. Someone tells you their wrong age, or they lie about how much money they have. It's not that kind of lie because the truth here is not just anything that's true, such as their correct age or how much money they actually have. This is the gospel truth. This is the revelation of God. So the lie is that which is opposed to the revelation of God. Now let's notice what happens in this text. There would be some who would be deceived. They do not love the truth, verse 10. They are deluded, verse 11. They believe a lie, verse 11. They do not believe the truth, verse 12. They have pleasure in unrighteousness, verse 12. The result is they perish, verse 10, and are condemned, verse 12. On the side of truth, here are some who love the truth and they believe the truth, verse 10, verse 12. And the result is they are saved, according to verse 10. Now, let's notice every point that we've just talked about is found right in our text with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive a love of the truth that they might be saved. That's verse 10. Now verse 11. For this reason God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, 
that they might all be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. And so we're seeing a couple of things here. And here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that it makes a difference what a person believes in religion. I'm seeing more than that. I'm seeing the difference that it makes. So what I'm seeing here is it does make a difference what a person believes. And if it makes a difference what a person believes, then one church is not as good as another and one faith is not as good as another. Because, as we've mentioned earlier, these churches often teach contradictory and different doctrines. Now, if it makes a difference what a person believes, and we've shown that it does, then one church is not as good as another. A church must follow the pattern. Just as in the Old Testament, when Moses was about to build the tabernacle, God said, see that you make all things according to the pattern, Hebrews 8, 5. The point is, that is a type or a shadow or a model, if you please, of the greater to come, which has to be according to the pattern. So God has revealed a pattern for us to follow that's found in his will, in his word, in the Bible. So if it makes a difference what a person believes, then a church must follow the pattern. And the question is, is the church of which I am a member following the pattern? A church must practice what is in the doctrine of Christ. Second John verse 9, John would say, Whosoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. But he that abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So we must abide within the confines of the doctrine of Christ. So if the church that I am a part of is not following the revelation of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, then it is not of God. Let's add another principle. And that is division is wrong. The Bible condemns religious division. In fact, Jesus prayed for unity of all that would believe on him through their word. So let's notice what Jesus said in his prayer in John chapter 17. So let's look at John 17 verses 20 and 21. Jesus is praying for his disciples and he said, I do not pray for these, that is his immediate disciples alone but also for those who believe on me through their word. That's me and that's you. I believe on the Lord through the word of the apostles, and so do you. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prayed that those who are believers in him would be one just as the Father and the Son are one. Did the Father teach one doctrine and the Son teach a contradictory doctrine? Or did the Father and the Son teach the same thing? Jesus prayed for unity. Paul condemned unity. The church at Corinth was divided. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. Others were saying, I'm of Apollos. Some were saying, I'm of Cephas. Some were saying, I'm of Christ. And he condemns that division saying, I would that you all speak the same things 
and that you be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, the same standard and the same conclusion from that standard. So Jesus prayed for unity. Paul condemned unity. The concept of denominationalism means division. When someone asks, what denomination are you a part? They're suggesting that God's people are divided into various segments. The word denomination means, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, the act of naming a name, a designation, the class, name of a class or group or classification. Several years ago, the term denomination was used as a banking term. Many today don't remember that, but there was a time when you would go to the bank and you put down your check and uh, you want to cash your check. They would ask you, not large bills or small bills, as they may ask today, or how do you want this money? They would ask you, what denomination? Now, they were not asking what church you were part of, but they were asking what denomination? What they meant was, what division of money did, do you want? And what that suggests is that money is divided into ones, fives, tens, twenties, fifties, hundreds, and so on down the line. Now, there are three things, as that was used in banking, there are three things that that implied. Number one, that implied that there is division. Now, let's suppose for illustration's sake that the only form of currency we have is the $1 bill. There are no fives, tens, twenties, fifties, and hundreds and anything larger. They're all $1 bills. There are no coins. We just have $1 bills. That's our only form of currency. And then if the bank were to ask, what denomination did you want this? Well, duh, there's just one. There's just one. There is no division. There are no denominations. So number one, it implied that there is division within money. Number two, it implied one is as good as another. That doesn't mean a one is equal to a 50 and a 20 is equal to a hundred, but one division is good. In other words, which is better, one one hundred or a hundred ones? Are two fifties or five five twenties or ten tens? They're all the same. One One group is as good as another group. And thirdly, it implied there are no wrong choices. Should you choose to take your check in $5 bills or in $20 bills or in $100 bills, that's your personal choice. There is no one who can condemn you for making that choice. Now let's take those same three principles as it applied to money and apply that to religion. Here is the concept of denominationalism. This is not the biblical concept. But the concept that many, in fact, most religious people have is that God's people, the saved, are divided into various segments or in various groups or various flavors, if you will. So let's just picture a large circle here or a large oval that represents God's people, those who are saved. Denominationalism says that those people are divided into various groups. 
So there might be some of God's people that might adhere to the Adventist thought. There might be others that subscribe to the Nazarene thought. There might be others that subscribe to the Catholic thought and some to the Presbyterian, and others to the Church of God, and some to the Church of Christ, and some to the Baptist, and some to the Methodist, and on we go with thousands of various denominations. Now this is the common concept, that God's people are divided into these various segments. Now they believe and teach contradictory things, but they're all God's people is the concept. Now those same three principles apply. What are they? It implies when we use the term denomination to refer to God's people that there is division amongst God's people. It implies secondly, one group is as good as another. Choose which one you want to be a part of and one just as good as another. And thirdly, there are no wrong choices. So if you choose to be a part of a group that says there are no conditions, then that's fine. Or if you choose to be a part of one that says there are conditions of salvation, that's fine. If you're part of a group that says Jesus is not the Son of God, or a part of the group that says he is the Son of God, there are no wrong choices. Now I want us to see that denominationalism is wrong. That picture we just painted is contrary to the scriptures for four reasons. Number one, it's not found in the Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That concept is not found in the pages of the Bible. Secondly, it is wrong because it is contrary to the pleas for unity. We noted these earlier, John 17, 20 and 21. Jesus prayed that they may be one as we are one. And so it's contrary to that plea for unity because we're not all speaking the same things. We're not united as the Father and the Son are united. Thirdly, it makes a difference what one believes. If denominationalism be true, the concept God's people are divided into various denominations then it doesn't make a difference what one believes or practices in religion. But 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 shows that it does make a difference what one believes in religion. We've noted that earlier. And furthermore, number four, it is contrary to the idea of there being one body. Now, all of these four principles we've already noted previously in this study. That's what's wrong with this concept of denominationalism. Now, let's add some more to that before we finish. But here's what we've seen. There is only one church. Why do we say that? Jesus only promised one. The Bible says there is just one. The Bible is silent about churches. It makes a difference what one believes in religion and division is wrong. Now, how do I go about finding the church that we read about in the New Testament? You say, well, it's a confusing matter. As I drive down 
through the town where I live, I see one church on this side uh, of the street and another church on that side of the street that teach contradictory things. How do you know? How do I figure this out? We find the New Testament church just like we would find a lost boy. Now, let's just suppose that you walk into a store, you walk into a mall, or maybe some public place, and you find this mother that's just frantic because her little boy is, is lost, and she says, I need help. So you being the good Samaritan that you are, you want to help find this little boy. So what you do is you tear out through the store or the mall, and you go find any boy because you're thinking one boy is just as good as another boy. And you're probably smiling or laughing because that doesn't make sense when looking for a little boy. And yet that's how people go about looking for a church. One church is as good as another. It doesn't work that way in finding a lost boy. Why does that work that way in a church? So you say, well, I, I, that, 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 that's right. I, I don't think that's the way I'm going to find the New Testament church. But you go and find a boy that you like. If you think boys are cuter at age uh, three than they are at age 10. So you go find a, a, a three-year-old boy or you go find a two-year-old boy or a five-year-old boy. You find the boy that you like and bring him to the mother and say, here's a boy that I like. Well, that doesn't make any difference what you like. In fact, that doesn't make sense at all that you're going to do that in trying to help this mother find her boy because it makes no difference what you like. We're looking for this mother's lost boy. Well, then you go out through the mall and you look for the most popular boy in the crowd. And you laugh or you smile about that because you recognize that doesn't work. That's not her boy necessarily. We're not looking for the most popular. We're looking for her boy. And yet that's how people go about looking for a church. I want to find the most popular church in town. That's got to be the best one. And then you decide, you know what? The thing I need to do is I need to ask the mother the identifying characteristics of this boy. Doesn't make any difference if you like it, if it's most popular, or how many boys there may be in the crowd. You're looking for one particular boy, and you're looking for these identifying characteristics. So the mother says he's 10 years old, he's 70 pounds, 50 inches tall, his name is Tommy, his hair is brown, his eyes are green. You write down all those characteristics. And so you tear out through the mall and you find a 10-year-old boy that meets most of these characteristics, except he has a different name. And you bring him back to the mother and you say, after all, what's in a name? Names don't matter. Well, the names matter in this case because she's looking for a boy named Tommy. Names do matter. Well, you find, uh, you go back through the mall and you find a boy who's named Tommy, but he is five years old. You say, after all, it's got the right name. It's got to be the right, right boy. It could have the right name. He could have the right name, but it's not the right boy. When have you found the boy? You've only found the boy when he meets every one of the identifying characteristics. And so I want to suggest to you, that's the same way we go about finding the church you read about in the New Testament. So how do I find the church in the New Testament? In, in this particular broadcast, we're not going to get into the details of this. That's what the other eight in this series will deal with. 
But what I want us to see is we go about looking for the church, just like looking for the lost boy. I'm not looking for the church that I like. I'm not looking for the most popular church. I'm not looking for the for a church that meets most of the characteristics. I'm going to go to my New Testament and open it up and look for the church, the name the church wore. I'm looking for the origin of the church, the organization of the church, the work of the church, the doctrine that it would be teaching, the practice it would be involved in, and the worship it would engage in. And then when I find the church that meets every one of those characteristics, I have found the church that we read about in the Bible. And so we end on the note that we started on. And that is, is my church the one that is found in the Bible? I would encourage you to listen to the next podcast, the next program that deals with the matter of worship. And is the church of which I'm a part, is the worship in which it engages, is it found in the Bible? Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what was said in this episode or any topics you would like us to cover in the future, please visit our website at whatthebiblesays.co where you can submit your questions or suggestions. There is also a place on our website if you're interested in scheduling a more personal Bible study with one of the Christians in this group. Lord willing, see you next episode.